0: It's my expectation. So I have two microphones here. This one is just for us to be able to hear and hear. This one is attached to my phone. It's my expectation to be able to record these classes so we can put them on our church website or find you know, on Facebook or YouTube. We'll find some venue that are, that's pretty easily accessible for you to be able to get these if you'd like. Because I, I mean... It's my expectation that this will be worthwhile, and I think that you'll uh, enjoy this stuff. I know I will definitely enjoy teaching these things as well. So, the reason why I wanted to do that is because, uh, like Mark mentioned a couple of times in his sermon this morning, we are, we're coming out of a pandemic, but it's still difficult uh, for us to, um, for some of us who are new here, whether that's your first time and you're visiting, or whether you moved here in August like we did, it's still kind of difficult for some of us. to to feel like we know folks. So many of you who've been here for years, it it seems silly, but for those of us who are new, it's really helpful. Uh, About once a week, I'll see somebody without their mask on and I'll think, oh, that's what they look like. I had no idea. Uh, A few months ago, um, when I started my Sunday evening Zoom class, I didn't know that at that time, Ron Pinion had this championship-caliber mustache (laughs) that he had been hiding from the rest of the church because he was keeping us safe. Uh, Today, I think, was the first time I'd seen Dion without his mask on. So, anyway, I appreciate y'all kind of bearing with us. Starting off with class, I'm going to start off with another question that's a little bit broader, a little bit bigger base, but um, this one is actually a little bit more serious to get us thinking about kind of some of the things that we're going to be doing today. What are some basic human needs? What are some basic human needs? And I'm going I'm to encourage a lot of class participation and discussion. I do have two small children at home, so I am comfortable with silence. I will sit here and politely look at you if no one wants to answer, okay? But what are some basic human needs? Water, food, did I hear someone say pork ribs? <laughs> no, okay. Water, food, yeah? Love. love. all right. I, I think Alicia might have seen my notes before class, but water, food, love. We've got two other ones on the scale. Dorisa, did you say something? Sleep. Sleep. What is that? <laughs> shelter. Shelter, yes. Yes, very true. Water, food, love, sleep, shelter. I feel like we're missing one clothing. clothing there we go there we go yeah clothing yeah a very particular type of shelter too right yeah um, question about this what about internet not a basic human need no I've seen some people try to make the argument that it that it is but that gets into a lot of strange questions about economics and things that eh, not really not really I'm, I'm not really interested in Food, sheltering, clothing. Uh, oh, I think we could take love and maybe expand it more broadly, right? It's that human interaction. At one point or another, how many of you felt some degree of isolation this last year? A lot of us did. Now, if you, you had, maybe you didn't. And thankfully, or hopefully, that was, that was because you already had some really close connections that you were able to consistently maintain. But it's something interesting that, about this last year that when you know, we, we joked, uh, we, li- we moved down here from Kentucky and um, a- after the governor shut down, uh, most of the, um, most like outpatient, uh, or I specifically refer to outpatient clinics because Linnea is a physical therapist. But uh, a- after a lot of those kinds of places, a lot of blue businesses and things got shut down, the only thing that people could do was go outside and, Thankfully, the weather was decent enough, although up in where we lived in central Kentucky, we have gotten freezing weather on Mother's Day before, which is absolutely tragic, and that's why we love living down here at Corpus Christi. The weather's pretty great. But we were outside, and then the nice thing is that one day we went hiking out near Red River Gorge, and um, it was just so nice to see people, because we hadn't been able to go anywhere and see people. Only one member from each household. This was early, early lockdowns, early quarantines and, and distancing measures. Couldn't go outside, couldn't see people. So we, just, we had no idea how nice it was to, to know that there were other families, that there were other people. Oh, it's a dog. I hadn't seen a dog in weeks and stuff like that. Of the ones that we've mentioned though, is there one that you think is a priority? That you would want to say, yes, all these are important, but this one I think is at the top. Is there one of those that you think might be at the top? Water. Water. Well, if you don't have water, right? I mean, Jesus fasted for 40 days, but he drank water during that time. Yeah. Three days. That's, that's generally kind of where it goes. Yeah, if, if you're dehydrated for three days, yeah. I feel like you're channeling Maslow's hierarchy of right, needs absolutely. here. Absolutely, yeah. but mm-hmm. I think in terms of what gives meaning to our lives, mm-hmm. I don't think you can do that apart from love and connections. Yeah. So at a at a physiological level you have these basic needs like water and things. At a level of of meaning, or even laying the groundwork for ability to thrive or flourish, love is essential there. Yeah, I think we could I think we could make arguments either way, right? Let me ask this. Why is human interaction a need? Why is it a necessity? That's how we life, like life. Yeah. I, 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 heard, I heard two answers that were essentially the same. Uh, that's how God made us, and that's how we were designed. Yeah. And God, by implication, is the designer. Yeah, so that's how we were designed. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting, too that God made us to need people there's there's some kind of I don't know this I don't know the right word for it but there's something so something kind of cool or alluring about the lone wolf type you know think about uh, think about a movie character like um, that that a guy like Chuck Norris typically plays or uh, or or, um, uh, Stallone in in the Rambo movies he's kind of this lone wolf character you know he's he um, he doesn't have a ton of people in his life. He's really strong. But there is some there are some relationships that he does actually have. So he's not as isolated as we might think he is. Did you know that they're also practical? So we have kind of a theological basis, right? God created us this way. He created us to need other people. But there's also kind of a practical aspect to that, too. I've got here just two brief little summaries of scholarly articles from one from the New England Journal of Medicine and the other from the Journal of Health and Social Behavior. So these are peer reviewed journals. I'm gonna read just little snippets out of these. Here's one titled, The Psychosocial Influences on Mortality after myocardial infarction. Basically, how does your life situation affect your ability to recover after a heart attack? This was a study done on over 2,000 male survivors of acute heart attacks. And here's what this says. I'm giving you just the highlights here with other important factors being controlled for, so like obesity and all these other comorbidities and things, with other important factors controlled for, the patients classified as being socially isolated and having a high degree of life stress among these male survivors had four times the risk of death of the men with low levels of both stress and isolation. Wow, four times out of over 2,000 male survivors of serious heart attacks. That that article was from 1984. Here's another one uh, from 2010, so a lot more recent. Social relationships and health, a flashpoint for health policy. So this article looks at some of these social influences on health and then later on tries to make some implications for health policy. The main point here is this. Take a look at this. Studies show, this is from the summary, studies show that social relationships have short and long-term effects on health, for better or for worse, and that these effects emerge in childhood and cascade throughout life to foster cumulative advantage or disadvantage in health, and so from a social and practical standpoint, from a social and practical standpoint, positive human interaction is just a basic need, right? It's just a basic need. And for those of you who work in the healthcare industry or in, in the sciences where you're dealing with the healthcare, I'm sure many of you would be able to say, yes, this this is definitely the case. This is definitely the case. We could also, like we had indicated earlier, we could also look at kind of the theological basis for why human interaction, for why positive human interaction is a necessity. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those because we're going to be looking at a few different texts here uh, as, we, uh, as we walk through uh, my next few points. Also, I'm aware of our time. Uh, We wrap up around 11.30, uh, but we got started just a little bit later wanting to give everybody time to get in, get settled, and all that, but I'm aware of our time also. All right, so let's take a look at this. In Genesis chapter 1, let's start in the beginning. It's the beginning of class. We'll start in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, after God creates something, and then he steps back, To kind of watch it in action. What does God say about it? After God creates something, He steps back and He says something. It was good. That's right. That's right. God is stepping back after creating, whether it's light or animals or plants or something along those lines, He steps back and He pronounces Basically, for all creation to hear and experience, this is good. This is good. Now, how many times does that happen? How many times does God make that declaration in Genesis chapter 1? If you've grown up in church, you might know that there are certain numbers that occur a lot in the Bible. Seven. Hey, there we go. Imagine that. Seven. Wow. Right here. Something about the number seven and twelve and forty. Mark and I were joking the other day about how he was trying to calculate up how long he had been in congregational ministry or something along those lines. And we both kind of looked at each other like, uh... We're, we're doing ministry because we're not good in math. <laughs> seven times. And if you... Uh, it, if you want to highlight or kind of underscore those or something like that, I'll give you these verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, 25, and then 31. So, and if you didn't catch all those, you can grab me after class, or Genesis chapter Chapter 1 is pretty short. I, I, I will never take away from you an opportunity to read the Bible for yourself. <laughs> the last declaration actually exceeds the first six. It's the first half of verse 31. So the shorthand way to, just, to say that is 31a. If you can divide verses in half like that by a and b. So chapter, verse 31a. Let's take a look at that one. Flip to the end of Genesis 1 if you've got your Bible with you. And God saw everything that He had made. And then we get kind of this little, the narrator inserts himself. And behold, it's like, hey, you, the, the, the reader or the listener, hey, pay attention. It was very good. It was very good. All right. Now, we have these seven declarations that everything in creation is good. Was there anything that God created that He declared? was not good. God didn't make any jump, right? Well <laughs> was there anything in creation that God made and then he stepped back and said, nope. He didn't, he didn't want Adam to be alone. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So you can turn or type over to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Will someone read us Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, please? A a human voice. I think I heard somebody, I think I heard Siri or or somebody's digital assistant uh, pipe up there. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Can somebody read that for us, please? The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Great. Thank you. It is not good. So out of all of creation. Genesis chapter 1 kind of gives us a big picture view, right? God created this, and it was good. And then that was the first day. And then he created this, and it was good. And it was the second day. So we sit back. We see all this kind of this day-by-day day pattern here uh, that we have. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we kind of zoom in a little bit, and we see a little bit more detail about what's going on. I think that's a good way to make sense of how we finish up with creation, but then we start back over again in Genesis 2. Get a big picture view in chapter 1. We get a little bit more detail in chapter 2 Alright So God declares that this is not good Why? Why? Why was this not good? Can someone read for us? Verse 20 Verse 20 tells us why this was not good That's right just the last part of that verse there but for adam for adam a suitable helper was not found all the animals are paraded before him he goes about in the process of naming all these animals it's kind of neat that god actually gave that responsibility to to adam the first human adam as the first human plays plays a really important role in creation i mean he's he's actually partnering with god right god could have just beamed into his head hey, here's the names of all these things. But he actually, he, he allows the first human here to have some you know, some role in, in kind of working with him over this. I, th- I think that's pretty neat. Yes, sir? I just, I think, I really like this thing you're pointing out because to me it's like one of the first times in Scripture I see God depicted in a very fatherly way. Yeah. What's the first thing you say to your child if you give him a stuffed animal? What are you going to call him? Yeah, Kids? yeah. Right. What's its name? Yeah. And I just I love that Yeah, Uh, thankfully Adam was an adult because I I can think of like ten different animals that would have been named a roar or something like that. (laughs) Here's what this animal. Here's what is the noise it makes. (laughs) Yeah, I like that, Mark. Thanks. There was not a helper corresponding to Adam, right? There was not a helper corresponding to him. He he was alone, and basically, like as God sort of walks all this stuff. Here we go. As God walks all this stuff through or before Adam, there's literally nothing else in creation up to this point that is suitable. It's interesting here that even in the pristine conditions of the garden, right? Loneliness is still not good for humans. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. I think by implication, we could argue pretty convincingly that it wouldn't have been alone for Eve. It wouldn't have been good for Eve to have been alone either. And so in the midst of all this This, this goodness That is uncorrupted, it's unperverted It's, it's untainted by the, by the ugliness And chaos of sin That God Declares still There is something not good about this And our Bibles are quick To point this out for us They're subtle about it But they're still driving home At a very important point it's, and so sure, there are times when it's important for us to you know, kind of withdraw from others. We see Jesus doing this pretty regularly, right? Jesus does this, he'll withdraw from others for a time, whether he's, uh, whether he's fasting uh, for 40 days in the wilderness or whether he spends all night in prayer, sure. I don't think Jesus was a hardcore extrovert, <laughs> yeah? But I think we can see here very clearly that humans are created to be together. And if that's the case, then we need to learn how to be together well. Is that fair? If humans are created to be together, we need to figure out how to be good at this. And so when God gave Moses the law, we'll fast forward in the Old Testament a little bit more. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. When God gave Moses the law, what did he start with? What were the the first things that he gave Moses? The Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments. The first four commandments deal with relationships. What kind of relationships do the first four deal with? Our relationships... Humans and God don't make any idols. Don't have any other gods before me. Things along those lines. The first four deal with your relationship with God. You as an individual, humans collectively, as a people, deal with our relationship with God. Okay, if that's the first four, what do you think the next six deal with? human relationships. Have you thought about it like that before? Where you see, r- really, what we see here is the commandments are, are the very first ones, right? The very first ones are about relationships. And the Ten Commandments often get cited as kind of, uh, they're kind of like the, the big sort of overarching pillars upon which all the other ones, like don't boil, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk, right? Some of these strange ones from Leviticus, all these other ones get kind of built on top of this foundation of these Ten Commandments. So let's take a look here. Um, I, I, I've asked you to, to camp out in Exodus 20. I'm going to read something. Um, actually, you know, we can skip that. So take a look here. Exodus 20. I'm going to start in verse, uh, verse 12. we start in verse 12 here. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, this one has a, actually has a kind of a condition attached to it. And there's a lot of discussion like, well, what, you know, a lot of people immediate, immediately go to the exceptions like, well, what happens if you have a bad parent? I understand that that's the case. The assumption here is that your father and mother will be honorable people. Okay. And even if they are bad, there's still ways in which you can honor the people that they should have been. Okay, But verse 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, The next one, you shall not slander your neighbor on Facebook. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Or your neighbor's wife or male servant or his female servant or the rest of his possessions okay those are very clearly indicating hey on the basis of everything that I've just told you about how you as a human being are to interact with God on the basis of all that stuff you also owe each other you owe each other some things and here's what that's going to look like okay now when Jesus was asked, "What is the greatest commandment?" What does he say? I, I heard a few answers. But... Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Can anybody give us book, chapter, and verse for that? Where where does that actually come from? Very good. In the Gospels, it comes from uh, Matthew said twenty-two. Yeah. What about the uh, Old Testament? Does anybody have... That's next level, right? Old Testament. Where does that come from? Man, see, this is why you're my favorite Bible student. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Let's take a look at those really quickly. This uh, section is sometimes referred to by its Hebrew name, the Shema. Can we all say that together? Shema. Okay, yeah, yeah. everybody's got their, that's true, everybody's got their mask on. I'll just assume that you, you said this. Because <laughs> the very first word in Hebrew is shema, hear, listen, pay attention. All right, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And it goes on to... Emphasize the importance of binding up your family relationships with this principle with this commandment That's the first one What is the second commandment Jesus says is the second greatest commandment? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Did you notice what Jesus did he basically summarized the Ten Commandments, right? love the lord your god that's the first four of the ten you're going to have you have this relationship with god rooted in love it needs to be characterized by love defined by love the second greatest commandment that jesus cites is actually from leviticus 19. turn to leviticus 19 because leviticus gets a bad rap i just burned on leviticus earlier leviticus has actually got some really good stuff in it it's got some really strange stuff in it too okay Some of it's not safe for work, but Leviticus 19 has got some really good stuff in it. But when Jesus cites this commandment here from Leviticus 19, let's see what he says. Turn to verse 17. All right, can somebody read for us Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18? Just verses 17 and 18. Okay. All right. According to these verses here in Leviticus, who is the neighbor? Jonathan, you just read that for us. Who specifically, what specific relationships is Leviticus 19 targeting? They're not supposed to harbor hatred towards whom? Fellow Israelites. Yeah, kinsmen, I think that's what your translation said. Sorry, I I got you right as you were were scrolling down. Yeah, fellow Israelites there. It's interesting then when Jesus is asked, well, who is my neighbor? How does Jesus respond? He tells a really important parable. What parable is that? When someone asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus takes this principle from Leviticus 19, which summarizes the second half of the Ten Commandments, right? The first and greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That covers the first four of the ten. Then he comes over here to Leviticus and says, Love your neighbor as yourself. That covers the last six of the Ten Commandments. And then when Jesus gets... Someone tries to pin him down. It was, okay, Jesus, I... Yeah, this guy who's asking this question, he probably knows what Leviticus 19 says, and it's about and it's about fellow Israelites. In this person's mind, he's probably thinking, well, that's okay. That, that allows me to get away with hating these Roman oppressors, right? Or hating those filthy Samaritans. When Jesus gets asked the question, who's my neighbor? Who ends up being the hero of that parable? One of these Samaritans. He expanded the notion of neighbor to include even those people whom we would, for whatever reason, consider enemies. Or outcasts. People that are marginalized. People that we wouldn't want to have anything to do with for whatever reason. All right, now if you're perfect... If you're perfect, this doesn't apply to you, okay? <laughs> if you're perfect, this doesn't apply to you. But honestly, I, I'm going to speak for myself. And, and if you can empathize with this, good. Or at least you'll get it. I think sometimes we can overestimate. I know I can overestimate how loving I really am. And so it's easy for me, right? It's easy for me to believe that I'm, I'm sort of a generally loving person when I'm not Regularly needing to do the hard work of showing love to people that we find difficult to love, right? It's easy for me to think, oh, I love God, I love other people. Except for that one jerk that cut me off in traffic, right? <laughs> Except for this clown that votes differently than I do. Except for this uh, punk on Facebook who went to the other big state school in Texas. <laughs> We don't have those problems in Tennessee. That's not true. <laughs> no. It's easy. Well, what happens when you find it's easy for me to think that, but what happens when you have a coworker or a family member that is even in your household? And you see them regularly and you find them difficult to love, right? When we feel unloved, we often feel isolated. Is that fair? When we feel unloved, for whatever reason, maybe it's just in a moment, you're really frustrated, and you want to sit down, and you want to talk to you know, a close friend, or, or, or a loved one, or a spouse, and, and you, just, you just need to get this out. And they're, trying to busy, they're busy trying to do other things, maybe other good things. But in that moment, what you really need is someone to listen. Or in that moment, what you really need is two or three options, suggestions, action items. Here's what I can do. And you're not getting whatever it is that you need in that moment. It's tempting to feel like nobody gets me, that I'm alone, I'm isolated. Well, if there were one, if there were one interpersonal relationship that we should have constant vigilance to safeguard. It's our marriages. Not everybody in here is married, but I can promise us that what we're going to walk through for the next few weeks, the next ten weeks in this class, will help not just your marriages, but also relationships with parents, if they're still around, relationships with Coworkers, relationships with children if you have them. Relationships with friends. Because I think it's, I mean, what we're going to do is still applicable. It's broadly applicable. How many of you have heard of this book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Okay. For the first five weeks, for the next five weeks, we're going to walk through the big love languages that he talks about in this book and it's on sale on Amazon for like eight or ten dollars you're not required to buy the book it'll be helpful for you if you don't already have it but I'm not requiring it okay it's cheap you could probably find a used copy or people still go to libraries right and you should be able to check it out or find an audiobook Kindle Kindle editions are still pretty cheap too so that's what we're gonna do for the first few weeks now, like I said, it's designed for married couples, but it actually has kind of a broader application. In the last five weeks, we're going to do one of his that is less popular, but I think it's still really useful. It's the five languages of apology. So a lot of us are familiar with his five love languages. We'll wrap up. That clock is fast. I've got one minute after, so we're yeah. going to wrap up here. A lot of us are familiar with this stuff like words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, those five languages. But some of us are maybe less familiar with his five languages of apology, expressing regret, accepting responsibility, and so on. I'm excited about this class. I think it'll be really great. And like I said, if you're not married, this is not gonna be strictly a marriage class. I wouldn't do that to us. But I do think it will be broadly applicable for all kinds of relationships uh, that you have. So I really appreciate y'all joining us here today and uh, hopefully for the next uh, several weeks. Uh, Since we're at time, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss y'all. Thanks guys so much for joining us this morning.